This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. One point from a possible nine on the road, but the performances continue to give us hope. And we all know by now that the bigger the away attendance, the poorer the result. So luckily we're only taking 3,000 to Bristol on Tuesday. Argyle's clean sheet lasted as long as mine do, with Dwayne Holmes notching in the opening minute and the new man Liam Miller doubling the lead. Ryan Hardy, who now leads the race for the championship golden boots, grabbing a consolation in the second half, but another game where the better side come away with nothing. Joining me tonight is John Allsop. How's things? Oh, sorry, I was late to answer your question. For, for those who don't know, Aaron had a, an interesting odyssey to uh, oh, yes. Preston yesterday, which I, I figured I would bring up. Missed your train, didn't you, Aaron? Yeah, but it actually wasn't my fault this time, so... Um... But yeah, less said about that, the better. Not good content. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Joe Bell, how's things? I'm just a little bit concerned if John continues to be as late as he is, that referee Gavin Ward might finally give him a final warning for time-wasting there. Uh, I'm very good, Aaron. I'm not not um, negative at all this evening, so I'm sure we'll, sure we'll all get on very harmoniously, if that's such a word. If it isn't, I'm claiming it. Normally, you're the voice of reason uh, who brings a... A tranquil opinion. Uh, I can't imagine we're going to get that tonight. Not not tonight. Oh, God. Uh, Sam Down, how's things? I think you really need to hire a scriptwriter for these intros. <laughs> what was that clean sheets comment all about? Um, yeah, I'm doing okay, thank you. Thank you, not doing too bad. And last but not least, Dan Ellard. How's things? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I just wanted to check with you as the, um, you know, let's say manager of of the Green and White podcast. You know, is is this pod going to be about the kind of the the team of us, or is it going to be all about yourself? Because there's an analogy in there somewhere, isn't there? Uh, yeah, I, I try not to make it about me, but this this intro's gone on long enough. For those who can't see, Aaron is racing around his hotel room in Bristol, fist pumping at the wall furiously. Yeah, I am, as you say. John, I am in a chain hotel brand, not to give away any uh, free advertising in Bristol. So if the audio is not not as good, blame the uh, the echoey bathroom. Anyway, Sam, why don't you summarise the defeat to Preston without answering all my questions? I'll do my best. Um, yeah, it was another you know frustrating day on the road. Um, I wouldn't 
Um, I may be, uh, myself, I'm not going quite as high on the performance as, as some other people are. Um, overall, I think we played well for large spells of the game. It is one of one, one of those ones before John inevitably pulls me up on it in a bit, which I'm sure he will, like he always does. But my immediate opinion in the aftermath has, has softened a bit in time. I was frustrated, you know, um, you know, wanting to kick the, the wall or something, walking out the ground, just annoyed that once again we'd be, you know, playing all this nice pretty stuff and not having the end result at the end of it. So I was pretty frustrated um, at full time. Having reflected on it, I, I maybe take back some of the comments I made in that frustration um, about about the team not having enough, um, you know, guts or whatever that, that I might have said. Um, I think overall it was a decent performance. Um, I do still think that maybe some people are sort of, um, you know, green tinting the performance a little. Um, I think we did play some good stuff going forward. We also looked really vulnerable at the back for, for parts of it. We got cut open like a knife through butter on, on a few occasions um, for the for the goals um, and, and also for the two big chance. Well, the, the, the one very big chance and, and a couple of other chances in the second half as well. Um, fair play to Connor Hazard for that incredible save. That would have made it 3-1 and then the game would have not looked so good. Um, but yes, of course, we, we also had our moments and um, we, we played some, some good football. That, again, we had one of our, sort of, as we've all talked about, those 15 to 20 minute spells, we had one of those second half. Unfortunately, we had them when we were already in a losing position and whilst we did score one goal during that time, it wasn't enough. And I think that what maybe made me a little bit irked yesterday, which whilst I do retract the extent of how angry I was, I do still stand by a bit, is that when we pulled it back to 2-1, all of the urgency and intensity that had been in our game for the last 15 minutes just seemed to to drop out of our game a little bit. Uh, we didn't we didn't have quite such that you know that same level of quality and and, and intensity going forward, um, which was disappointing. Part of that you maybe have to give credit to the opposition because I think clearly uh, you know Low made some some subs to, to sort of push push us back up and pen us in a bit, but. I didn't go into that last 10, 15 minutes thinking that we're really knocking on the door to score. And when you're when you're losing by one goal going into the last 15, that, that's always what you hope to see, you know. So yeah, it was a it was a good enough performance in, in at, at times, but I think there was definitely room for improvement um in it not only in the finishing, but also in in the way we defended some of the chances and in the way that we um just sort of after really fighting our way back into the game. We let the game away from us after pulling it back. So that was, yeah, some some positives, but another frustrating day on the road. Joe, you had nothing to say post-game yesterday. Any changes on that front? Have you found your voice? When I, well, yeah, when I when I put that nothing to say tweet out, I think I'd only just boarded my coach to, to leave Deepdale. I, I wanted to sort of just collect my thoughts. I'd just seen Preston North End's manager celebrate the victory wildly in front of their... Very loud home support, not sarcastic in any way whatsoever. So, yeah, I just wanted to collect my thoughts, give it a bit of time. As I said, you know, I then put out a little thread last night about what my thoughts on the game were. I sort of see where Sam's coming from. I just think there's no point any of us overanalyzing the game. We were the ascendancy for large parts of it. Preston had moments generally on the counter-attack, which is what you come to expect from a Ryan Lowe side. We had it for 18 months. And look, it's, you know, we we, we didn't win either box. We didn't defend well enough and we didn't we weren't clinical enough. So it's pointless overanalyzing it. 
there's no point worrying about anything until you get your own house in order at the back and um, until we tighten up and stop conceding soft, sloppy goals at times, then it, it's just going to be a, a frustrating season um, because it's all there. Everything's there to to have a really good return to the championship. But until everything is put together in, in a performance, which I don't think we've had yet, um, because let's not forget, I know we won 3-0 in the last game before the international break, but we should have been 3-0 down inside 15 minutes. Um, so th this is nothing new, but there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to learn and it needs to be done quickly, in my opinion. Yeah, we, we haven't got time for all four of you to give you your overviews, but we'll, we'll move on to them. But um, some, you know, the tweet that we put out at the final whistle asking for other people's thoughts. Um, Lee Smith said, Deja Vu played well. Again, we lost going Bristol Tuesday, so hoping we play shit and maybe we win instead. Uh, Steve Shearman said, Hardy and Azaz were immense. Great performance from the team and unlucky not to grab a point. C. Dubia, might be pronouncing that wrong, said, at least we got the defensive calamities out the way early doors this week. Played some great attacking football that was easy on the eye, but probably only got so much of the ball because we were behind for the entire game. Not a troll. Uh, said, wouldn't say that we were the better team, better footballing team. Yes, North End played to their strengths as they were entitled. The game followed all the current trends for both teams, sadly. Um, and Devon Dave says he needs to tweak something. It's obviously not a big issue at the moment because we're playing great, but we don't want to be the most attractive losing side every week. I'm sure we'll get onto that. Uh, but John, you were very complimentary of uh, Dwayne Holmes in our preview podcast. Um, <laughs> why, why don't you talk us through that opening goal? One minute in. Anyway, I need to to shut my mouth for those um, for those who didn't didn't listen. I said on the preview pod last week that I didn't really fancy Dwayne Holmes as a player and, and wasn't uh, particularly impressed by him, despite his involvement in. Um, a few of Preston's goals at the beginning of this season. I have to say, nothing about his performance yesterday really changed that assessment. I thought we largely kept him quiet. Um, but yeah, obviously, was in the right place at the right time to to bundle home at the back post early on. Um, it's a good quality goal. Um, the, the sort of switch of play from their right to you know out, out to the left um, is is a really nice ball. And then there's a good cross into the box. I believe it was from Miller who then scored the second, but I could be wrong about that. Um, regardless, I thought, I thought Miller was excellent yesterday and caused us all sorts of problems, obviously with the goal, but with a couple of other good balls into the box, um, including for that Hazard save in the second half, which I'm sure we'll come on to. I think two things from our point of view with that with that first goal. Um, number one, having I felt, I felt at the time watching it live that Hazard probably could have done better. Um, and having watched it back a few times on the replay, I think I'd probably stand by that. I don't think it's an absolute clanger or anything like that, but I think having got something on it, you need that to be a much firmer contact. Now, of course, obviously a firmer it's, it's contact. It's one of those, but... isn't it? It's one of those where if you go for it, you've got to go for it and you've got to get it. And if you're... Yeah. It was sort of half-hearted a bit and he sort of flaps it. Obviously, yeah, you know, it's, it's possible he pushes it out to someone else lurking on the penalty spot or whatever. I can't exactly remember who was sort of standing where in that move for, for Preston. But yeah, obviously he's not really sort of impeded the ball going through to the to the back stick. And while it is a good ball in and, and a tidy, well, I say a tidy finish is pretty much on the line, but, you know, obviously the Ladcocks get in there and finish it. Yeah, I think, I think he probably could do better. The other thing is that I'm, I'm concerned that teams 
understand and this goes back to last season as well i'm thinking particularly of the um competition that shall not be named final at, at wembley the teams understand that if they can really get the cat among the pigeons against this early draws and get an early goal then then necessarily our whole game plan basically goes out the window that's, that's not to say that we necessarily abandon the game plan but very clearly if you are one nil down after 30 seconds you're going to approach the game in a different way you know psychologically than if it was nil nil you might take fewer risks because you know if a second goal goes in it basically gives you an absolute mountain to climb um obviously it's a big sort of gut punch confidence wise so while it might not necessarily change the plan in terms of what the instructions are obviously it sort of completely resets the game um and yeah it wasn't at the blackburn game but obviously as joe mentioned they they did get as um early doors um ryan hedges obviously should have scored pretty early in that game had some other chances too I think we need to understand that teams are going to do that at this level and sometimes they are going to put those chances away just because obviously the quality of finishing and, and ruthlessness at this level, as we've already experienced, is higher than in League One. And um, while it is a good goal, um, yeah, I think you have to ask questions about how he's been able to ping the ball across so easily, how the lad at Miller, I think it was again, down the left-hand side has had so much time to pick, put the ball in the box and how we haven't really defended our box very well. Um, yeah, it is, it is a high-quality goal. But I don't think it's it's one where we had absolutely no say in in you know how we set up for it and yeah sometimes if a goal goes in after thirty seconds there is very little you can do about it but it seems to be becoming a little bit of a pattern that the teams know that they can get in our face early on maybe we will be vulnerable to that and then yeah and that obviously changes the complexion of the whole game afterwards so um, I think that's something to bear in mind going forward. The second goal coming through. Uh, new signing, Liam Miller, after Whitaker gives the ball away cheaply. Dan, why don't you talk us through that goal? While you're at it, actually, what? how much praise do we need to give Preston for how they handled this game? Um, I'll say this through gritted teeth, obviously, but <laughs> I think um, Ryan Lowe did a couple of things throughout that game, which... Uh, were pivotal as to how the you know how the what what the end result was the the clear decision that they made throughout the kind of first half an hour or so of the game to cut off the supply down our right hand side was really noticeable so when hazard would play the ball out to one of the center backs they'd leave gibson alone and just cut everything off to plegathuelo or kesler hayden which meant that we could not play up our right hand side because we couldn't and it was to me that seemed like a clear do not get let morgan whitaker get on the ball as a result a lot of our play went gibson to miller to mumba but the problem was and i think this is why Lowe did it he recognized the fact that Mikel Miller, and, you know, this is to, you know, <laughs> kind of to, I don't like to kind of stick the boot in on our players, but to be honest, I see Mikel Miller as a kind of League One standard winger who were playing at left back in the championship. To play through a high press, to play this ultimate kind of passing style, play out from right from the back system that we need to do, you need to be, have good awareness of who's around you. Um, sometimes play with your back to goal, be really good technically, good passing and have a good first touch. And unfortunately, we saw, as with Miller, you know, with that horrible tackle that he made where he played a made a poor first touch, let it get away from him and then probably should have been sent off. We'll get on to ref watch in a bit. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have those attributes, unfortunately, which meant that a lot of our moves were breaking down. Um, you know, trying to get Mumba on the ball, um, it, it it just yeah it wasn't it wasn't happening for us and as a result we were kind of penned in a lot of the time in the first half. 
now as it happened for the second goal, uh, we did manage to get the ball down our right-hand side. You know, Whitaker kind of dropped in and, and got it in quite a deep area and then played, I have to be honest, you know, he had, he had a pretty good game, Whitaker overall, I think, but it was a horrible pass, wasn't it? A real hospital ball straight to their player. And then, you know, he tracked back. You could maybe say he could have got a little bit further you know, tracking back, but I don't think, you know, he, that's not that's not him and Mumba's jobs. It's the it's the right and left uh, kind of number eights in centre mid to kind of help the fullback out, really, um, when they get it in those wide areas. So I won't criticise too much for that. And the other disappointment is kind of seeing it again from the view in the stand. It looked like a just a really good finish in the bottom corner by their player, but maybe Hazard could have could have got more on it. I think he almost gets there, maybe gets a fingertip on it and just doesn't quite get enough on it it's one of those I think it would have been had he just tipped it around the post I think we would be saying that's another unbelievable save um, but as he did get so close he'll probably be a bit disappointed and at that stage in the game we hadn't really had our kind of decent spell in that first half and, and it it kind of looked, felt game over-ish at that stage obviously by half time and certainly once we got our goal back it was we could slash should be getting something out of this Mm. Yeah, I, you know, you've mentioned a few of them there. So let's talk about individual winners and losers. Sam, I used a combination of player ratings from yourself and John for the socials with one outraged Twitterer calling the ratings poppycock. Oh, I'm glad he got, I got a smirk out of that. Who, for you, d- didn't have their best day at the office? Well, I've Dan alluded to, I don't think Mikel Miller had a good day at the office at all. Um very heavily mitigated by the fact he wasn't being played in this correct position. It was a gamble. I think the gamble was to get pace down that right side, get real express pace on the overlap, and it just didn't really work out. And it did work out in the sense of Miller getting into the right places. He really, you know, offered, offered the option, but yeah, didn't. Um, his, his use of the ball was, was was poor mostly throughout. And, and as Dan said, he was possibly slightly lucky not to be sent off for that for that sort of lunging tackle um, after he, after his initial. Miscontrol. Um, I don't think Kevin Hayden had the very best day at the office. I think he was mostly okay. I think he was, you know, fine. But for the second goal, yes, it was Whitaker getting over the way, but there seemed to be a big gaping hole in the right back position. I don't really know where, where he, he was. He didn't cover that very well. And they just got down our, their left, our right hand side, and scored. Maybe having, if I saw the wide lens camera, I'd see that he was, you know, covering somebody or whatever. So maybe, you know, a little, little bit of a caveat on that. But, um, I don't think Kevin Hayden covered himself in glory for the second, and he had that great chance that, that he sh- could slash should have scored from. Um, and again, he just couldn't quite find the finish. So he, he didn't have a dreadful game, but he was involved in two quite big moments. And if those two moments both went differently, or even if just one of them had gone differently, we could have been looking at a totally different game. Um, so that but he, he didn't have, maybe have his very best day, and. Um, I really don't think Pedro had a good game, I'm afraid to say. Um, I think I, I maybe got a little bit of a stick after the Blackman podcast where I said that whilst he did have a lot of positive attributes, he also was prone to, to, to making a few mistakes. And I think, again, today we saw him make mistakes. He, he, would have, he made more mistakes today than in the Blackman game and didn't quite have enough good stuff to make up for it. He just seemed a bit too languid on the ball. Um too many, you know, little lapses in, in concentration where we got into trouble as a result of it. They they seemed to target him a little bit at times. Um, uh, and yeah, and Gibson had to get him out of trouble, I think, once or twice as well. So I, I think those were the, the, probably the three who I think didn't have their 
didn't have their best games. And you're on mute, Aaron. Yeah, brilliant. Obviously, John, you contributed to these ratings unknowingly as well. Yeah, if I if I'd known if I'd known you were going to use them, I'd have made sure they weren't poppycock and completely changed all of my opinions to <laughs> suit the opinion of um whoever commented on our on our tweet. So I apologize. I think it was an at PAFCJ Bell using them <laughs> slightly wrong there. Of those of those players, have you changed your mind on any of those? Now you've had time to sleep on it, or um, no, I don't think so. Um, I'm sort of looking back at, at my ratings that went into the aggregated version, which you did without um without our express consent. Therefore, therefore, binding my opinion into his. I no, I don't think I, I change any of I would change any of mine. I mean, I um. I did give Miller a, a rage, gave Miller a very low score, leaving the ground as I tapped these out on my phone, which uh, you prevailed on me to raise before they were posted on the internet, uh, which I think was appropriate. In hindsight, you know, he, he put a couple of really wicked balls into the box, which someone should probably have gotten on the end of. And that being said, I thought defensively he was really poor. Um, I basically completely agree with what Sam and Dan said about him. Yeah, I agree with um, I agree with Sam on, on Plague with Wailo as well. Um, I thought he looked a real liability defensively in the first half, which might have been to do with the fact that they were sort of targeting that side um, and his kind of outlet, as, as Dan mentioned. Um, second half, I thought he was a lot better, but obviously we were 2-0 down by that point. Um, and I guess the one that I would mention who hasn't been mentioned is I personally didn't think that Whitaker had a great game yesterday but you know again clearly they were marking him very tightly he still looked a threat particularly early in the second half I wouldn't attribute that to anything more than just your best players are not going to be an eight or nine out of ten every single week and and yes there wasn't an eight or nine out of ten game from him and that's fine um uh and and I think yeah I would have more concerns about the other people who have already been mentioned. Um, I expect Pegwithwelo will is still learning this level, which is is very kind of different to you know even even the top leagues in uh, on the continent. And I think you know once once he's kind of adapted to the way Championship football operates, he'll be a really really good player for us. Hope the same can be said for Mikel Miller, but um, unfortunately, I have to sort of agree with Dan so far that I'm not as confident that he can make the step up in the same way albeit as Sam mentioned was not being played in his natural position so that would that would be my yeah I don't, I don't think I would change my mind on on um on the ratings and I would just say actually you know without wishing to to focus entirely on the on the negative side of things um on the positive side there's some really good good individual performances yesterday I thought Finazaz was absolutely fantastic I gave him an eight but very close to to a nine I think probably for a nine out of ten you have to have been involved in sort of maybe one like game-changing moment of individual magic obviously he did have a big hand in the goal that we scored which you could say fits that that criterion um I think I, I personally would have wanted him to score a goal or do some absolute kind of individual madness that led to a goal or something along those lines to to bump him up to, to a nine out of ten which would be a really exceptional score but certainly an eight I thought he moved the ball absolutely fantastically through that kind of final third of the pitch barely gave it away Clearly ran himself into the ground, um, as as evidenced by that kind of late uh sort of bout of cramp or whatever it was that he that he seized up with. Yeah, at the, for, for the first time, you know, as, as regular listeners of this podcast will know, I am an enormous Finazaz fan. Um, I think for the first time in the championship, we've really seen him look like someone who has the potential to be a top player at this level rather than just, you know, a player who can play at this level. Um, so that was really, really encouraging. And and Jordan Houghton, again, I also gave an eight to, um, we've spoken on this pod in recent weeks about about him and how he has, you know, taken to the championship like a duck to water, perhaps um, surprisingly in some of our opinions. 
And yesterday, again, I thought he was absolutely terrific in terms of the way he moved the ball, won the ball. So, yeah, the, the massive positive side of this is that you've got a player kind of in the in the sort of midfield acts defensively and then the player in the midfield acts offensively. Both had really, really strong games. And I think that contributed to us actually looking very dangerous, even if, you know, we, we couldn't quite fashion the, the chances at the end of all that to, to be able to get the goals that I think our overall performance warrant. Yeah, there's quite a few Twitter questions about tactics and selections and stuff. We'll get onto that in a bit. In that long list of uh, names that um, John's just reeled off there, Dan, uh, I don't think he mentioned uh, Ryan Hardy, who now leads the uh, championship golden boot charts. How how good has he been this season? Well, we were having a bit of an argument earlier about is would we be doing better um, if Niall Ennis had, had started every game this season instead of Ryan Hardy? Obviously, hypothetical, Ennis left. And that was not any any of our doing. Um, he, yeah, he, he. I I expect he wanted to go and Blackburn are paying him more, so that's so that's it's it's all hypothetical. But Ennis uh, wouldn't have been scoring as many. Uh, but would we be would we be scoring more as a team, and would we have that outlet to get us up the pitch? My personal opinion to that is no, because I think Hardy's. Uh, off the ball movement, his work rate, uh, his ability to run the channels, get in behind and also press from the front is fantastic. Not to mention the fact that he is the top scorer in the championship now with five goals in six games, which is outstanding, really. If he keeps doing that and we get to January, let's say he's on something like 15 in 20, I would not be amazed at all if a near the bottom Premier League club that's struggling for goals or a wealthy championship club that's underachieving, it comes knocking. It's And I'm, I'm not saying this is a criticism of Hardy, but I wonder whether he would do well enough to kind of satisfy those Premier League clubs. But I'm thinking, you know, a club that is in a bit panic mode that needs goals, oh, have a quick look at the championship top scorers. Oh, yeah, Ryan Hardy, let's go for him. And then he might not fit their style. He might not, you know, be be as work as well under their manager as as he does under Stephen Schumacher, and it, and it might not work out. But you know, seeing how much money some of those players go for, I honestly think if he keeps doing what he's doing, he could fetch an eight figure sum for us. Do I think he's worth that? Possibly not. That's not to say he's not a, not doing a brilliant job for us this season. I think he is, but. I could see some club chucking money at us for him. Uh, that, like I say, in in a bit of panic stations because he keeps scoring goals. Um, one of the one of the arguments again that was made when we were chatting earlier was about is it a bit of a Freddie Ladapo situation where he's scoring lots of goals for us, but actually he's a bit of a kind of net um, negative on the team. I don't think so at all for those reasons that I gave. Would it be nice to have? As something a bit different option to bring off the bench or to start in games because you know Hardy's we got three games in a week coming up is Hardy going to be able to start 46 games on the trot assuming he stays fit and free from suspension possibly not that's a hell of a toll on any player no matter how fit they are so it would be nice to have the other option obviously we've got Ben Wayne we've got Bundu coming in Yesterday in particular, and I appreciate this is the just kind of last 10-15 minutes scenario, 
was screaming out for just a big target man to stick in the box. A Cosgrove type or, you know, I, I was screaming for us to put Dan Scar up front in stoppage time because, you know, Preston was sitting in low block. They were forcing us to put the ball wide. And then you could see the players were trying to work the ball into the box from there without just chipping across in because Preston centre-backs are massive. Their keeper's massive. We don't have that same aerial threat in our forward players. So it just it just needed Dan Scar. And that's another thing that I think Shuey got a bit wrong by just keeping Scar at the back there. You know, it's nothing to lose at that stage. Stick him in the box, see if he can cause a bit of mayhem. So that was a frustration. And it would be nice for us to just have that option to bring on. Hopefully, Wayne and Bundu can just take some of the strain off Hardy throughout the season in terms of maybe starting games or bringing them on after an hour because Hardy's pivotal to us right now. And and if Wayne struggles to make the step up starting games at uh, this level and if Bundu does the same, then we are really, really reliant on Ryan Hardy. And that worries me a little bit. But it's I suppose you could say the same about a lot of players in our squad you know, you could say the same about the wide players. So let's just enjoy him while he's, uh, while he's staying fit and banging the goals in. Yeah, especially if he goes off to the Premier League in January, then we are buggered. As you say, the, the next two questions we've sort of already answered. So if you say the same answers, I'll just edit them out. So if you're listening to this listener, they've said something new. Continuing on ratings, Finn Azaz picked up the Argyle Life Man of the Match. Most definitely the winner from the weekend. John, you've already given a a glowing praise of Finn, but uh, Joe, how how good is it to see him back in back in form and closer to the Azaz of pre-injury? Just before I go on to that, I can't. It, it, of all the things I expected us to be hearing and debating and talking about this evening, um, I did not expect to hear somebody say that if we're having to rely on Ryan Hardy, who's currently the top goal scorer in the championship, then we're in trouble. And then equally turn around and say that he might be going for an eight-figure sum to the Premier League. I mean, you know, guy's got five goals, you know, let's let's think about getting rid of him. He's one put well no, I'm not thinking about getting rid of him. If a player comes if a team comes in and offers eight figures for him in January, what are we going to do? Say no? And what is the player going to do? Is he going to want to stay? You know, well, our hands will be tied, you know. And he's also. Why do we have to think about that, that Dan? That's that's what I'm trying to get at. We're, we're only six, get six, six, seven games into the season. Like I said, if he, keep, we... if he keeps doing what he's doing, then I, th- I genuinely think I'm not saying a well-run team because I don't think, as good as he is, I don't think he is a Premier League quality striker at the minute. But a, a team that has more money than sense, I think will chuck. You know, how often do we see t- players banging goals in in the Championship and then get that bigger move? And in terms of squad depth, he's one player. I really hope Ben Wayne and, and Bundu will do it. I'm, I have trust in the, in the recruitment team that they will. But it is that worry that, you know, if they can't make the step up and Wayne's only young and Bundu is, you know, we'll, we'll see about him. His record doesn't speak, doesn't isn't fantastic, but I'm not going to be one to judge off a record. So I'm sure we'll be fine. However, if they don't make that step up, we might be struggling. Let's not fall out yet, Dan. There's still plenty of time left of this recording of the podcast. <laughs> Agreed. To give my two cents on this quickly, I think there is a 0% chance that Ryan Hardy goes for eight figures. Seven at a push. But I think that like the idea he'd be, even after scoring 15 goals in 20 championship games, from a club of our stature, because remember Sam's regular point about the you know the size of the selling club makes a difference to valuations as well. I think you'd be looking very low seven figures, if anything. I would chip in and say that if he was, let me think, like 15, he could easily fetch mid seven figures. But I would also agree that eight is, not, is too optimistic. But anyway, it's all incredibly hypothetical, so you, you go on. Two other quick points. 
number one, Hardy has always done well at scoring goals in spurts. So I would want to see consistent you know, this this become a consistent run of goal scoring. Now I think there's some evidence that it could be because he's scoring types of goals that actually like I think some of us on this podcast have been critical about him not scoring enough in the past, you know, kind of snaffling up routine chances. I mean, my, one of my frustrations with him as regular listeners will know has been in the past sometimes that he's been the, the sort of player who scores wonderful little chip finishes, dinked finishes from tight angles, but then doesn't kind of put away the bread and butter this season. He absolutely is doing that. I also think, to just to Dan's point about a big money move, even clubs that have any kind of like semblance of player recruitment analysis, which I think is pretty much everyone these days, would recognise that Hardy is, one, he's had an amazing start to the season. I think he is scoring goals because of our system and the chances that that's creating for him. And while they have all been very well finished, I don't think it's like he's... I think we play it a certain way and and whether that's designed to feed into him scoring so many goals or, or having that kind of percentage of our chances as the kind of lone striker or whether it just kind of happens to suit him. I don't I don't know if a club would look at that and think that's instantly replicable, you know, outside of our system, let alone our higher level. So I guess that'd be my three cents on it. Anyway, back to Finnezaz, Aaron. I thought he was the best player on look, the pitch. We, we, said, we said something new, so this has to stay in now. I, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. Probably for both sides. I, I do think Miller deserves a lot of credit for Preston. I thought he was excellent. But anything that resembled anything positive, attacking and good from Argo came through Finazaz. You know, as as John has already said, you know, the, he ran him, he literally ran himself into the ground yesterday. And there would obviously be a little bit of a a concern as to whether or not he'd be ready to go again on Tuesday night after. I I personally and um, I said this to my uh, comrades who I was with in the stand on Saturday that I actually didn't think he'd come back on when he went off. I thought he'd been down for so long. I thought that was it. He wasn't going to come back. Um, so that's credit to him. You know, it's just everything that was good about us came through Finn. And that is, it's been reassuring because I've been stressing to people that I don't think, I think the reason that we haven't seen the best of him up to this point is because we have to remember he hasn't had a preseason. So he was always a couple of weeks behind the rest of the team. Every performance over the last three or four, I would say, has been gradual, a gradual progression. Um, and it got to the point on Saturday where we we saw the finners as we saw before his injury last season. And all being well, touch wood, as long as he gets lucky with injuries this year, then I think we're guaranteed. He, he's certainly doing enough now to make sure that he is one of those players who plays in midfield alongside Jordan Houghton on a regular basis. Because before Saturday, I think it was still up in the air as to what our best combination was to play alongside Houghton. Um, but I would now say off the back of Saturday's 97 minutes... Um, that Finazaz and Jordan Houghton are two of our best three. We now just have to work out who the third of that three is and stick with it going forward. Yeah, last bit on on players themselves then, obviously, um, Sam, I don't know if you want to give this any more chat. Obviously, we, we, we seem to mention goalkeepers an awful lot on this podcast and, and John's already mentioned that... Um, you know, should be doing better with the first one. But obviously the talk in the build-up to this game is about Michael Cooper's imminent return. Connor Hazard has been good this season and far better than I ever expected him to. But another game where he's pulled off a world-class save, but also had moments, you know, on the ropes. How, how do you assess? Hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. At what point was Connor Hazard on the ropes? Well, he should be doing better with the first goal and, you know, could have got to the second one. But he's also pulled off a world-class save. 
I, I don't. I don't mean on the. Road. Save your opinion. Save your opinion of the second one until ref watch. I'm not allowed an opinion. I ask you guys your opinion and then get shouted out on Twitter for saying your opinions. That's how this works. Just assess his performance. And and you know, with with Cooper's imminent return, does does Cooper save any of those? I with the caveat that I don't know what's coming yet. The ref watching. Joe is physically tearing his hair out of that question, by the way, and like slapping his um living room lamp. I can't help. That was a Facebook question, not a Twitter one. So, okay. Um, with with the caveat of not knowing what Joe's going to say regarding ref watch, whether there was maybe a foul in the build up or something, I don't know. Um, I think he could maybe have got down a little better for the second. Uh, in 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 truth, I don't think it's a howl of any means, but um, um, yeah, I think the one that he he really effectively, if you go by the. The, the dreaded XG, which uh, I know causes other contrary, the one that really should have gone in is, is the one he did save. So, look, I think being charitable to him, the, um, the value of that save in terms of preventing a goal, whereas other keepers maybe wouldn't have done, was was more pivotal than, than, than the value of him him letting in the second, whereas other keepers might not have. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not going to criticise him too much. That being said... I do think on the basis of, of there being no room for sentiment that Mike Cooper, for me, whenever he's fully fit, and we don't know how, how fully fit he is. We know he's back in full training, but obviously Matt Sharp is the thing. He's like the preseason. For me, I would be looking at bringing Michael Cooper back into the first team fa- fairly shortly. But one, because I do think he is just that little bit better than Hazard. I think it's good as Hazard is. I think Cooper is a, a really exceptional talent and, and offers better distribution. And secondly, because I think... Hazard is clearly being brought in to be the long-term number one keeper, absolutely. But as necessity is part of that, that does mean that we, we are going to have to sell Cooper for, for, that, for that to happen, it, you know, unless Cooper's going to be sitting on the bench as number two for us in the long term. And if he's sitting on the bench for us as number two in the long term, we can certainly kiss goodbye to any hope of Cooper going to millions because he'll be wanting out to go to somewhere he's going to play regularly. And then because he's, because we're then not in a position to demand the fee because he's our, he's our backup keeper... We're going to be then potentially losing our millions. If he's playing regularly, we're going to be gaining those millions. So you have to look at it from not just the short-term results, which I think Cooper is just as good, if not probably better, but also from the from the financial sustainability for the club, where I think Cooper is is certainly of much, much, much more value to us playing than he is sitting on the bench. So I think you have to, in, in this day and age, have to look at it from the spreadsheets as well. So. There's a caveat to that, though, that if he sat on the bench, that's because Hazard's keeping him out of the team and therefore Hazard's a better keeper. So, therefore, Michael Cooper wouldn't command millions anyway. And this is all hypothetical. Again. We're going back to the seven figures, eight figures Hardy chat. Maybe, but but obviously Cooper's done. Cooper's had such, two such absolutely fantastic seasons. So, if Hazard is doing so amazingly well as keeping Cooper out of the team, yes, great. But but ultimately, that's not going to necessarily prompt the clubs to bid millions for him. Rather, if Cooper comes back in and he does very well on the back of the two seasons we've already had, that may pop, that may well prompt clubs to, to bid millions for him. So I don't think, well, especially your point, I don't think it's quite as, as cut and dried as that. So yeah, long story short, Hazard has done well. Um, a couple of things he could could do better, but he has done well. But Cooper is just at an exceptional level of talent, and I would be looking at bringing him back in fairly shortly. Joe, as Joe would say, there's one very easy way to settle this debate, which is. Start Callum Burton. <laughs> Have Cooper and Hazard on the bench. We need a big striker, and Hazard did come up for that for that corner and put himself about. Could you imagine sticking Hazard up last five? I reckon he's got a bullet header as well. 
the size of that head. Anyway, uh, Joe, we will get on to ref watch, but one final one final question. We'll let Dan have it uh, before we get into the Twitter questions. Dan, how, how glad are you now that the whole Ryan Lowe saga is, is over until the 16th of March? Feels like we can put that chant to bed as well now. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. I whilst there was a, a mixed reaction at, at full time, some kind of outward abuse towards him for his exuberant celebrations and some people just kind of looking pretty resigned. I think we were all pretty miffed to see it because it's pretty galling, isn't it? You know, you got a long drive home. Yeah, you see, you see that celebration, which we all know all too well. It was it was only ever one game. It's a very frustrating defeat. Still, we're still in a very good position. Seven points from six games is absolutely fine. No, no problem with that at all. But it was a yeah, it was a very. It would have been a very nice one to to get something out of. But yeah, just just looking forward to the, you know the future games now, and and we'll we won't see won't see all of that for quite a few months. I would be very impressed if he managed to keep Preston up around where they are, even in you know the top six. Uh, by the time we play them next, this will be. This is where I'm going to get cut and and put on Twitter and and shamed when we get to April and May. I'm sure, but I honestly think no sour grapes would say this. Whatever the result had been, I honestly think they're the worst team we've played this season. And maybe apart from Huddersfield, maybe apart from Blackburn because of their finishing, but that's you know that aside. They really, I don't think they had a lot about them individually. I'm I so think... glad you caveated that with Huddersfield. <laughs> Dan, Dan is welcoming Huddersfield any time he wants after that comment, <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, the Huddersfield game was a weird one. I actually thought Leighton Orient were pretty bad as well, but I know Dan loves Richie Wellen, so... <laughs> yeah, no slander about him. Yeah, But you know what I mean? Like They just didn't seem to kind of whiz passes around and really kind of string them together in the same way that we've seen a lot of other teams do this season. It kind of surprised me, but you have to credit them, I suppose, that in that they defended fairly well, albeit looking at some of the stats that have been put out, kind of still allowed us 1.5 XG, which isn't fantastic, I don't suppose. And they were very clinical. But yeah, I wasn't massively impressed by them. And I think that we could very, very easily have got something out of the game, if not taken everything out of the game, all three points. But you have to credit the job that Ryan Lowe's doing. The other thing which I was which I was um, going to bring up in, in my earlier point was the other thing Lowe did that, that I think was really pivotal to the result was after we pulled it back to 2-1 and Sam alluded to, we kind of seemed to run out of steam or, or take a foot off the gas or whatever. He noticeably pushed them 20 yards back up the pitch. I think they were starting to retreat. They were starting to go low block and 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 probably panic a little bit. And us getting a goal back could really kind of facilitate them to really sit in and, and, and do that. And yeah, they did right towards the end. But it was very noticeable that they started pressing our defenders again. And then we couldn't get back out when we were starting to go long and it wasn't sticking. And that really changed the impetus of the game. And they had some chances to seal the game from that. So credit to him for doing it. And I think also credit to to his players for kind of listening. Because I think often, you know, we see managers kind of screaming from the sidelines, get up the pitch, get up the pitch, and teams won't listen and they'll sit low and they won't have that mentality to get out and press high and be brave. So you have to credit him for that. I think it was a very good bit of management. 
thing of how football is all about opinions. Um, and I certainly don't associate myself with anything that Dan has just said. I I don't think they were the worst team we played. I think we've got to give them credit. They, you know, they did win both boxes. They they had their moments. They were very, very good on the counter-attack. I mean, in that second half, as much as we were dominating it, when they got on the ball and they were running at us, we were all at sea. And maybe that was down to how much we were pushing on or whether it was just down to the pace that they had up front. It's very difficult when you're looking from one end of the pitch at the other. You don't get a perspective on where players are and distances and gaps between players. Um, and I also think you have to give Ryan Lowe credit on the way he approached approached the game after they went 2-0 up. They they managed it very well to half-time. I think he knew, I mean, he says it in the press, it's very easy to say things after a game, but he, you know, there was going to be a reaction from Argyle. There was always going to be a reaction in that second half. And thankfully, it was a positive reaction because, of course, it can always go the other way. Um, and I think they clinched the game on the 63rd minute or whatever it was when he made a substitution to bring on Jack Watmore. Um, Watmore didn't miss a header. Um, don't think he missed a tackle. Got everything cleared that came his way. Um, and that really was, for me, what sealed it for them. Um, I thought Watmore was immense when he came on at the back. Um, but, you know, they certainly weren't the worst team we've played. I, I do sort of understand the point that Dan's coming at when you think about, you know, some of the um, some of the play that Watford put in against us, Birmingham, um, you know, even some extent Southampton when they were getting when they were getting forward. Um, you know, Preston didn't carry as much as as Watford did. Um, but you know, they won both boxes and they won the game two one. So um to kick in the teeth and you know what it did hurt seeing Lowe celebrate like that, but um, you know, it, it didn't the result still wrangles with me just as much if Enzo Moresco was in the away dugout than if it was Ryan Lowe. It, it doesn't it still annoys me. You know, if I can just jump in quickly, um, well, I, I agreed far far more so with Dan uh, on, on, on his uh, first uh, disagreement with Joe tonight on Hardy. On this one, I, I am slightly in agreement with Joe. I think they didn't play as pretty sort of passing patterns as maybe Watford and Southampton did, but I absolutely think they were more effective than either Watford or Southampton because they they were a, a they were a you know clinical counter-attacking side. I do think they uh, they're like they cut through us like a knife through butter at times. Um, for the for the for the for their first goal and and also for the for the chance in the second half that Hazard saved and ultimately yeah they, they defended pretty well. Yes, they allowed us a you know um you know a, a couple of good chances, but I think ultimately at the end of the day they were um how often and, and John said this before how often do you go away to a good team and you think oh that's a bit you know they weren't that good but they do a job on us and I think Preston and I don't think it was one of those it's purely our bad finishing that let us down. I think it was also good defending from them and also very good counteracting from them. So on this one, I, I do think Preston were good. Do I think they'll still be top at the end of the season? Absolutely not. Um, do I think they'll be in the top six? I didn't, but I'm maybe starting to reconsider a little bit. Were they that good on the counter-attack second half? At, at points they were, but I'm not sure they were that good on, on the counter-attack. But don't forget, there was the one where they hit the post as well. There was yeah, they, a had, number, they had numbers, Sam. We were going to commit people forward, obviously, because we had to chase the game at that point. Of course, they're yeah. going to look good when they counter-attack and they've got men over and, they, and you know, they've got advantages on the break. They are good at getting, up the, getting men up the pitch for that. I'll give them credit. But, 
you know, of course we're going to chuck men forward and, and uh, A, because that's the way we play and that's the way that I think we're effective, but also because that's, that was just the situation of the game. We had to try and commit. We had to take risks. And if that meant we were going to be short of the back, then, well, so be it. Possibly. possibly. I, I don't know. I just, I just think that they, yes, obviously, of course, we'll always, we'll always throw men up and, and get caught on the counter. But I just think that their, their patterns breaking out were... Were good patterns. They, they looked well coached, well drilled. Um, again, I, I'm saying all this positive stuff about Ryan Lowe. I don't really want to, but yeah, um, I, I I think they. I think it, it wasn't. I think in t- I agree with you. Mean in terms of pure pretty patterns of play, I do agree they were the second weakest behind Huddersfield. But th- there's so many ways to skin a skin a cat, and I think they were were, were very effective in, in that regard. I am going back to Aaron's question. I'm sure he's probably tearing his hair out to get onto the Twitter questions, but. I, I am I'm glad the whole circus is over. I think, um, yeah, it wasn't, you know. Um, it was frustrating, but I do think possibly some things didn't paint us in the best light yesterday, but probably best moving on from that. I am. Um, just quickly, I think that I think regardless of whether you think they were the best or the worst or whatever team we played this season, I think that is the most quintessentially championship experience we've had yet. Um, a team that don't look that good um, in terms of, like, doing the kind of obvious flashy stroking the ball around kind of lovely passages of play stuff, but are quietly a lot better than they maybe look, are very resolute, very dogged, ruthless in taking their chances and ultimately just kind of shithoused us. I think that is going to happen a lot at this level. Um, I think up to now, we haven't really had that happen to us. I think I think I may have said something along these lines after the Birmingham game, but reevaluating that, I actually do think Birmingham were just pretty lucky to beat us with a very late goal that probably could have gone either way. Otherwise, we've played, you know, Huddersfield, who are a pretty poor team for this level. Southampton, who are obviously a, a very, well, in theory, a very good team for this level. They've now conceded nine goals in, in two games, um, but a team coming down from the Premier League. So not a sort of quintessentially championship side. I, I wasn't at the Blackburn game, but but for me, from all the games that I've watched, that was the one where I was like the most like, yeah, we've arrived at this level in a, in a frustrating way. We're going to have to deal with that experience, I think, over and over again at this level. Um, and yes, the fact that it had to come at the hands of um, our former manager who likes to make everything about himself was infuriating. Um, I would just say on the circus point quickly, I think that, you know, you say it's over till March. I think that that return game at home park is going to be even more circusy than yesterday, probably. And also, I think Shuey will be well, well up for that because I think he was outcoached yesterday. I'm sure we'll come on to the team selection and, and stuff, and I do have some things to say about that in a bit. But um, I think he was outcoached yesterday by his former boss. And I think much like when we saw Argyle finally beat Wickham and Shuey was really giving it large at the end because it felt like a, sort of a personal managerial tactical battle with Gareth Ainsworth that he'd finally won after being humiliated in the previous uh, one uh, and I think he was still the assistant manager when they beat us three 0 at home park under and I think it was in Lowe's final game at home park potentially or one of them. Um, but yeah, I think we might. I think we might see. I think I think Shuey for all that he'll talk about it being another game is is going to be smarting that his best mate has um outcoached him yesterday and I think he will be very keen for that not to happen again when we when we bring him to home park. So I think that will that will raise the temperature of that one perhaps even more than even more than we saw yesterday. But yes, yeah, so obviously over for now. By then as well, we'll have more of a, you know, a gauge on how the league's looking, if they're still pushing towards the top six or whatever, you know, it becomes even bigger then anyway. Yeah. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But moving on, Joe, it's your time to shine. Ref watch. Please don't go on for about an hour. No, just much much like the referee with added time, Joe's going to keep it short. And even if Aaron did want me to um, hurry up, I probably wouldn't get a final warning anyway. My my points on the referee, as you can probably tell, I'm a little bit astounded. Freddie Woodman did not receive a punishment for his incredibly um, deliberate slowing down of the game at almost every opportunity from the very start of the game. Even in the first half, he was taking liability, uh, liberties, sorry, not liabilities. Uh, he was taking liberties. Um, so I was amazed that, that Gavin Ward didn't book him. In terms of the Mikhail Miller tackle... At the time, I actually thought he was hushed to get a yellow card. Um, maybe I was blinkered with my view. Um, I've seen it back, and yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a yellow at most. Um, you know, it, VAR, if it existed in the football league, would obviously have a lot better angles than what we we would get on the highlights that we see. I thought there were several really cynical fouls that he picked up on and then decided not to pick up on in the second half. Um, but the big one for me was that second goal. And I thought there was something a little bit off about it at the time, but couldn't put my finger on it. And then when I saw the highlights um, on Twitter on the journey home last night, um, it's offside. Um, as far as my understanding of the offside rule is, he's offside. Um, Miller picks the ball up, cuts inside. And as the shot is taken... Um, I'm not going to try and pronounce his, his name. The Macedonian centre-forward um, is stood in an offside position in front of Connor Hazard and has to manoeuvre his body out of the way to allow the ball not to hit him. Um, and as Hazard goes to ground to save the shot, he's practically at the Macedonian's feet. So therefore, the Macedonian is, is interfering with play. Um, and... He was interfering in play from an offside position. Um, that's my understanding of the offside rule. I do have it slowed down on my phone because I am anoraki like that. Um, and it, it's it's clear that as the ball is struck, he's in an offside position. Um, however, you know, these all these professional footballers who know the offside law a lot better than me, not a single one of them appealed for it. Um, maybe they didn't think about it at the time or not. I don't know, but... Um, the more and more I look at it, the more and more I think it's offside. But that's irrelevant um, because we didn't do enough in both boxes. Other than that, I'm pretty um, ambivalent towards Mr. Ward. Um, he still got credit in the bank for me for when he abandoned the game against Barnsley back in 
2008-9, whenever it was, when we were 4-1 down at home park. So um, just move on. No, again, I'm still waiting for the day where a referee drops an absolute clangor and I can sit here on my soap, um, but I'm yet to see it. I believe, believe the, the Preston striker is from Montenegro, not Macedonia. On a, on a point I, do, I do apologise to all Macedonian fans who are listening to the podcast. I Just quickly, I made the, the quip about extra time. This is not just about yesterday's game. This is like a broader thing across you know, just watching football. This new directive at the beginning of the season is already a complete shambles and we're about a month in. Um, it's just obviously not being consistently enforced in any way, shape or form. Yesterday, there was so much time wasting on their part in the second half. Injury, substitutions. I would have expected seven minutes for that last season. Um, so if they are actually genuinely clamping down on all that stuff and, and tossing it up moment by moment, you know, granted I haven't done that, so I can't tell you exactly what it should have been, but it, it certainly felt to me like it should have been you know, 9, 10, 11 minutes, which, which we have had on occasion this season for halves of football that felt, you know, no more or less um, disrupted or stop-start uh, to yesterday. You know, I think it's it's got to the point, and I'm not blaming this necessarily on the individual officials yesterday, where that directive is just obviously not being enforced. And, yeah, I, I think, as has been mentioned, we, for a combination, I think, of, of Preston doing a job on us, as Dan noted, but also our own exhaustion, lack of ambition, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure, not saying we would have equalised if we'd had three or four minutes in the game. It sort of felt like it was petering out into a into a win for them. But uh, I think seven minutes was was woefully short of what it should have been at the end, to be honest. Um, so it'd be nice to see some more consistency in how those and how that directive applied. Do you want a quick quiz question? I've looked at the insights. Do you reckon we have more listeners in Montenegro? Or in North Macedonia? Montenegro. North Macedonia. No, we have, we've had one in Montenegro and none in North Macedonia. Since we've been on ACAST. Maybe maybe it was this maybe it was the centre forward for Preston just trying to get an insight into our side. <clears throat> and he's now crying into his cornflakes that he's been misnationalitied by Joe. Should we move on to Twitter questions? This one's already quite long. So um, here was an incredibly long question. Fraser asks, now we've seen a few games, what are people's thoughts on the new formation? His context slash reason is this. We didn't have the best players on paper last season. And I think the reason we won the league is because we had a good squad in which everyone had a very specific role that they were best suited to. We were a greater sum than our parts. This season, we have a new formation in which a number of players including one which cost us £1 million, is playing out of position or in roles that are not best suited to them. Can I just quickly jump in before, Sam, just very quickly? Um, mine's a very, perhaps, narky comment about this question. You, Joe? No, I don't believe that. I don't think it's got any bearing on the formation if individual mistakes cost goals and that cost results. That That's my thoughts on that question, but... I'll let Sam answer it because he obviously has more thoughts than me. To an extent, that is true. Um, obviously, individual mistakes play a part, but then obviously, even beside that, sometimes if players are not protected with the right formation, they're, they're more prone to make mistakes. So, look, I think it boils down to a few things. It boils down to sort of part one is the shift away from three at the back, correct? And then part two, if we're assuming it is correct, which type of back four do we play? Because there are many types of back four. Um, I think realistically the shift that the way for the three at the back is here to stay. We've not played a single minute of three at the back 
in any of the league games, any of the cup games or or any of the friendlies. Um, so clearly it's, it's, it's here to stay. Um, I do think, well, maybe I can have a longer debate about whether that's a good or a bad thing another time. I've got one point of time. I do think if we are going for the four at the back, we should it should be more like a four two three one rather than a four three three. The reason I'm going to give that up are twofold. One because I think it allows us to overload the attacking areas a bit better if we have no three behind the striker rather than two, and it just allows us to keep providing Hardy with with support. And I know he's scored he's got a lot of goals anyway, but I just think it just allows us to get maybe get more goals from other areas also, um, and, and hopefully get us get more points. Secondly, is I think what people are not talking about enough, in my opinion, is how short of depth we are in the winger places, in the winger positions. We we all talk about there not being much backup for, for Hardy. There's really not much backup for Mumbra or Whitaker either, which is a bit of a, a little bit of a concern. But Bundu, yes, is coming in, completely unknown quantity. Hold the thought on him for now. That aside, um, it's Miller who who is injury prone, um, to put it bluntly. He's often being played at left back instead, and I think he's, he's maybe not quite of the quality for championship level so far. Hopefully he proves me wrong. And Tyreek Wright, who I think, again, though proves me wrong, is, is also not quite of the quality for championship level. Whereas if we play a 4-2-3-1, we aren't under such pressure to play... If we play a 4-2-3-1, we are under such pressure to play Mumba and Whitaker every week, as we are now. Because with the three behind the striker, all of a sudden that brings Callum Wright, Finn Azad, Luke Cundell into play for those positions. Whereas in, in the formation we play now, Azad, as great as he's being, is having to play deeper and Cundell's having to play deeper. If we play a 4-2-3-1, which is a little bit more fluid, then there's less reliance on hugging the touchline. Those three can interchange, they, they, they can maybe have a bit of fluidity and they can help us. Um, and I really think that, that it, it, it maximises the, the tools that I'll talk in a bit more to play a 4-2-3-1 than what it does to play a 4-3-3. You may say that by, again, moving a and Cundle up, you're then moving the depth away from central midfield, but you've still got Houghton, Randall uh, to, to, cover the, to cover the two slots, and then Butcher and Warrington. I know Warrington seems a bit of a forgotten man since he joined, but I'm sure you know it's a long season he will get his chance. It brings him into play as well. So, you know what, I, I really think that whilst we, we aren't going back to three at the back anytime soon, not unless I think things go really south in terms of results and performance, I don't think it will happen. So, but I do think 4-2-3-1 is the way to go because we, we, we only really played 4-2-3-1 in one game. It was the Huddersfield opening game. And whilst obviously Huddersfield, we have to caveat that with the fact that Huddersfield are the weakest team we've played so far, it did bring us a win. Um, so I, I'm thinking modify we're not, I'm not saying completely throw it all out and go back to three at the back, but I think go to four, two, three, one and just go at teams and and, and attack them and, and hopefully it will bring results. I just wanted to completely, for once, completely agree with Sam. Um, I don't think it necessarily has to be as definitive as play four, two, three, one every single week and never play four, three, three. There might be games where that is just the better setup. And I, I do still trust Shui to kind of toggle between formations um, based on based on having done the analysis of the opponents for that week, but I think based on the personnel exactly as Sam lays out, it, that four two three one just suits the players we have available much better than that four three three. Like I look at the four two three one, not only does it sort of seem to unlock more depth by just the options in that formation being more suited to the players we have, as Sam just mentioned, I think it also offers us both greater fluidity going forward and more of a kind of defensive shield than that kind of 
indeterminate 4-3-3 where, you know, someone like a Panuche Kamara, for example, in that system, you know, sort of peak Kamara for us when he was really, really good would suit that because he's a box-to-box kind of bomber midfielder who was really good at kind of all aspects of the game, you know, winning the ball, but also striding upfield with it, making passes and then getting in the box and scoring goals. I really like uh, Kundal and obviously Azaz, don't get me wrong, but I don't think either of them is exactly that same type of player. I think they're both more attacking-minded than that. Azaz, obviously, is is really a number 10. Kundal, having not seen as much of him, I still think is very resolutely an attacking midfielder. Um, I think he's he looks good in a 4-3-3. He's a very silky player who's got a lot of technical quality. I'm sure he'd do a job at fullback if you put him there, but... Um, seems to me that playing in a three behind a striker would, would as Sam noted, suit him a lot better as well. Um, and there's a related point here I did want to make, which is, I think, well, two related points just very quickly. I think, firstly, Shui got the lineup wrong yesterday. Um, I certainly think that Miller at fullback rather than Edwards was just a personnel choice that I think backfired. But but I think also, you know, it just looks a very, very attacking lineup having all of Whitaker, Mumba, Azaz and Kundal in there. Um, Aaron's uh, throwing things in his hotel room, so I, think, I assume I just answered a forthcoming question. It looked it looked very attack minded. You know, don't know exactly to what extent that contributed to us being two 0 down so early on, but I think obviously doesn't help for me. I would absolutely have started Randall yesterday in a kind of midfield two with Houghton and given us more of a screen. And again, maybe it would have prevented one or, or both of the goals. Maybe not, but I think it would have it would have you know would have looked a bit more solid. Also, the, the second point is that I heard Shuey talk over the summer about starters and finishers. And he would tell players who were left on the bench when we rotated our squad so heavily last season and when they'd be sort of a bit pissed off to have not been included in the starting lineup, he would say to them, I don't see you as a substitute, I see you as a finisher. You know, we've got the players we want to start the game today and we're going to rely on you to come off the bench and finish the game. And we're going to be very intentional about... um, Often this was in games against teams where they had data suggesting this team got tired after an hour or whatever. You know, we're going to want you to come on and, and that's going to be a really important phase of the game for us. Yesterday, I saw a team that started all of its best players kind of trying to shoehorn them into a, a formation that worked that didn't have finishers to come off the bench of comparable quality with the exception of Callum Wright, probably, who I think is a really good player, but I think also one who more so than Azaz and Kundal is taking his time to bed in at this level. Um, you know, with the best will in the world to the to the lad, Tyreek Wright for Whitaker is not a starters and finishers type um substitution um you know i personally would have taken a a cream crackered morgan whitaker in the last 10 minutes of that game in terms of like potential to have an impact and just pull out a moment of quality than a than a fully fit tyreek right that's just my opinion i'm not suggesting not starting whitaker or mumber to be clear i think they're they're for me our two best outfield players and therefore probably should start every week but um you know um, they're, they're then you do have flexibility with Azaz, Condal, Callum Wright, where you can bring on two of those players potentially and they can have an impact against tired legs. Um, yesterday, I felt that our starters all got really tired at the wrong time and we didn't have players coming off the bench who were able to kind of make an impact on the game. Like R- Randall, don't get me wrong, brilliant player, love the lad. But is he, is he an impact sub coming off the bench at 2-1 down? I think certainly yesterday would indicate that that, that we said he said he certainly wasn't yesterday, let's put it that way. Um for me, he's a much he's a much better starter than a finisher. So, you know, without wishing to second guess Shui, whose uh ability to pick an excellent substitution we have long, long praised on this podcast. I don't think we saw that yesterday. And I think it was a rare example of him getting both his lineup and his subs uh wrong. 
Huge congratulations there, John, for not only answering the next question, but the next three. Incredible <laughs> work um, there. But yeah. Uh, well, I'm, just, Aaron, I am a starter and a finisher. Can you just make uh, aware that you are not part of this anti-Tyreek Wright agenda? I had it pointing out, out to us on Twitter that there is a Tyreek Wright agenda. I am not personally, I am not part of it. So stop shouting at me. Um, I see Joe, uh, Joe shaking his in agreement. Uh, not that said even. Agenda, if agenda means have watched him play football and don't think he is up to the level, then I guess it's an agenda. I'm not, I'm not part of any organised anti-Tyreek Wright club, but uh, from what I've seen so far, I'm afraid I just simply don't think he's a championship footballer. Sorry. Moving on. Uh, before we get more hot water uh, online. Um Gavin Jones, Joe, your friend, and um, Argyle Chance basically asked the same question, so I sort of bundled them together. Uh, they said, um, Gavin says, should we start in a far more pragmatic fashion? We're usually well in games from the 20, 30-minute mark, but the old adage, you can win any game in the first 10 minutes, but um, but you can sure lose one, goes against the way we play. Um, I would love to be bloody-minded early doors. And Argyle Chance says, one out of nine points away from home and an obvious pattern emerging already. Although we were, we're in, we've were we been in the game each time, would it be better for us to stink the game out completely on the road? We'll take a, I'll take it. Oh, well, I'll, take, I'll certainly take the bit about the one in nine, one point from nine. Um, and I refer you back to what Shuey said post-Barnsley. Um where we're going to have to be, we're going to have to approach, what was it? We're going to have to approach away games a little bit differently. Um, you know, we're going to have to come out of them with a bit more of a conservative approach. Um, and I just wonder, and it, it's more a, a rhetorical question than a criticism. Um, I just wonder whether the youthfulness, the exuberance, the inexperience at this level um, of this group um and them wanting to do well them wanting to succeed etc um is just sort of counter counting against us a little bit um you know we're, we are well in games there's no doubt about that that we are in well we've been in every game we've played um but there comes a point and i know that it wasn't possible saturday because we were never in front in a game um but there does come a point where you have to approach games thinking right Let's not go out here to impose ourselves and to dominate and to be this and be that and be something that we might not be or we might be. The first objective should always be when you go away from home, don't lose. That should always be your first objective. And then if you can get anything on top of that, it's a bonus. Because we all know the home form is more than likely going to carry us through. Um, you know, it, I know bigger teams are yet to come to home park, the the Norwiches, the Leeds, the the Ipswiches, the um uh oh, Leicester are the other team who are doing wrong. Well. Uh, so I'd like to request a correction. I think you may have identified Ipswich as a big club. <laughs> um I'm just saying in terms of their league position, John. Harder tests lay ahead at home. Um but yeah, I just think, you know, we are gonna have to perhaps are we is it too early i guess is what i'm asking to suggest that we need to start approaching games differently now um because i'm of the opinion that whilst i agree we are new to this level and everyone is an ex most people are inexperienced this level and there is going to be a constant development of the team 
um, and improvement on performances. There comes a point where I, I think I said it after the Birmingham game on the podcast where there aren't going to be too many more times I'm going to be comfortable coming on saying that, you know, we were the better team, but we lost, but it's fine because we're new and we're learning, etc. Um, and to be honest with you, I know it's only our the very next away game in the lit, but I'm already at that point where I'm finding it a little bit uncomfortable to say that. We've had half we've had half a dozen games, we've had an international break. Um, we know what this league's about. We know what the good teams do, what the poor teams can't do. Um and you know, I accept that the game plan went out the window within 40 seconds yesterday. Mm. Um, but I certainly hope that come Tuesday night, come Hull at the end of the month, etc., that we can, you know, we do perhaps go into it with a more of a, not necessarily a pragmatic defensive approach, but as the question alluded to, you know, get th- break it up into, I don't want to use an American analogy, but break it up into quarters, get through the first 15, get to the 30, get to the 45, get to the six, you know, work through it like that, like you do when you go into a big cup game. We were at Stamford Bridge and you're counting off the 10 minute segments that we were still in front before Chelsea inevitably scored. That That's sort of how I'd like us to maybe go into games at the moment now, is just go, right, get through the first 10 without conceding, right, you got through the first 10, try and create chances in the next 10 get on top in the next 10, et cetera, and just gradually build the performance up. Don't don't th- put all your eggs into the basket of getting out of the traps quickly and putting the other team to the sword early. Just grad, because I think we're better, when, as John says about the finishers, et cetera. I think last season, we were so good in the second half of games of football. And I just like us to build our performance as if it's going to a crescendo Whereas in the second half, we can just hit hit them with a sucker punch and then bring on these these playmakers off the bench like we'd hoped we had done yesterday, but it just wasn't to be. Especially like you say, the, the first 10, right? Like The first thing anybody will say in a Sunday league football game is keep it tight first 10. Yeah, the last two away games, we've conceded two goals in the first 10 minutes. We conceded after eight minutes against Birmingham. We conceded after 40 seconds yesterday. So we need... That's the... That is fundamentally looking ahead to Tuesday night, that's the first stumbling block we have to get over. We've got to get through the first 10 minutes in the game. Otherwise, you know, in League One, we might have got away with it. In League Two, back in the day, we certainly would have got away with it. But in the Championship, you're not going to get away with it giving teams head starts the way we are at the moment. Yeah, there's still a couple more uh, Twitter questions to go and we've been on this quite a while. Um, One of them from Jack Leslie is all about set pieces and I feel like it might more be it might more be for uh, Dan rather than Sam um, but I feel like we should just cover that another night because this has gone on long enough um, I think we'll call that a night it's been a long one cheers guys no it hasn't been a long one or is this the is this the ending to the to the main pod this is the ending to both pods oh right okay nice cheers guys cheers cheers mate bye mate that's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Argyle Life 1886. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.